Welcome to the New Birth Christian Ministries podcast. New Birth Christian Ministries is located in Columbus, Ohio. Under the direction of Pastor Yavis Ellis, join us as we transform our families, school, community, and city by introducing everyone to Jesus Christ. Y'all actually sound like y'all got some energy, you know. There we go. So, so we learned last week that men are important because if you think about it, the men are the vessels in which the blessing biblically is supposed to be transferred. Um, majority of the time, 99.9% of the time, when the blessing was transferred, it was transferred from the man to the younger man. And the man's job is to transfer divine favor, which is why the enemy fights us so much when it comes to men being in the house of God and being in position to be able to transfer the blessing that they've had on their life to the next generation. So when you look at scripture, the man is seen repeatedly passing on an inheritance to those who came after him. And the inheritance was not just a monetary inheritance or an inheritance of the home. It was an inheritance of the blessing or the call that God may have put on the father's life. In fact, I want you to write this down. We didn't get a chance to get to it last week, but I want to show you this for my brothers. This this to keep you focused. Proverbs 13, 22. It tells us that a righteous man leaves an inheritance not just for his children, but for his children's children. So a righteous man does not just set up the children that he has birthed himself, but also the children that they will produce will be blessed. And so righteous men are needed in order for the word of God to continue to stand from generation to generation. It is your job and my job as righteous men to transfer the blessing. It is the role of the man to look after the future. And we see that Joshua, he had called a couple of brothers. He said, listen, I need some brothers to go before us. I need some brothers to go ahead of us to be able to set the tone to fight the enemy. And what we learned last week is that we're going to be some brothers who are going to set the tone. We're no longer brothers who want to sit back and let everybody else do the work. But we got some brothers who stood up last week who committed to setting the tone, who committed to saying, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there armed with my weapons. I'm no longer just sitting back chilling. I'm going to show up to set the tone. We said last week we're going to be some brothers who are going to be standing up to go ahead of the rest because the enemy is waiting. The enemy is trying to pursue. And so I had a great time on Tuesday night at the Bible study with our men uh, because it showed that we had some brothers who are ready to set the tone. Listen, I don't know what's going on in everybody else's churches, but New Birth got some brothers ready to set the tone. And I praise God for our brothers in this ministry. But we also learned that, that not just the brothers go ahead and set the tone, but, but when you go ahead, we as a body, we must all be equipped. Joshua said, I need you to go ahead of us, but I need you to be armed. You're not just going to go and talk or go to just see what's going on, but you got to be ready for some action. And so we learned that we aren't just carrying the weapons of the world, but, but we're equipped with the word of God. We aren't just teaching our children how to fight with their fists, but how to fight in the spirit. Our children uh, don't just need to use their hands to defend themselves, but they need to learn to use their hands to lay and heal other people. 
We have to be people who are rooted in the truth of scripture so that when the issues of life come up, when the issues of life seem to be overwhelming, we have hidden the word of God in our heart so that we have the ability to encourage ourselves through the living God-breathed word. We got to be equipped. That's what we learned last week. The last thing we learned is that God has called us all to serve. And we don't just serve when it benefits us. We don't just serve because we expect to get something back. We don't just give because you owe me a favor. I don't sow into your life expecting that you're going to sow back into mine. But I understand that I serve because that's what it means to be a child of God. It means I give to people who can never repay me. That I give to people who don't have the ability to be able to serve me back or to put me in a position or to put me on a platform. It means you show up and carry through with your commitments. If you say you're going to do it, you'll be there and you show up on time and you do it with love and you do it because you want to serve. It means if you talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. And so we ended our time together last week being introduced to a young lady by the name of Rahab. Rahab has a past but we see that she's ready and willing to be used for God. And many of us made the declaration at the end of service last week that we're ready to be used for God. And so this week, we're going to continue in that same vein. We're going to start off in Joshua chapter 2. We'll be in Joshua chapter 2. I want to read the first verse for you to kind of update you on the story of where we are. Joshua chapter 2, say promise when you get there. Amen. Joshua 2. Joshua 2, verse 1. I'll read the first verse. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. So what Joshua does is before they go into the land to take it over, to pursue the land, to, to do what God has called them to do, what they do is they go and they send out spies, similar to what Moses did 40 years before then. But Joshua only sends out two spies. He sends out two instead of 12 like Moses did. And, and, and what this shows us is that sometimes I don't need a bunch of people. I just need the right people. Okay. See, see in order for us to enter the promised land, you have to be careful of who you walk with. And many times we feel more comfortable in the crowd when God is calling you to be removed from the crowd because there's some places he has you to go that everybody can't go into. You have to be careful who you walk with. I don't need a hundred people who want to just go and look. But I need a couple of people who are on board with the vision. And we get so caught up into being in the group, into being in the popular crowd. That we mess around and we waste a bunch of time and a bunch of energy when God has called you to an assignment. But let me tell you something. Joshua said, I don't need 12. I just need two. See, I don't want people who want to go and be nosy. But I want some people who understand the mission, who understand the promise, who understand what I'm walking into. And I hate to tell you this, but there are some friends who are around you. There are some relationships that you are in. They don't understand the promise that God has on your life. And so, therefore, it's a pointless relationship because if the goal is for you to get to the promise, you got to walk with some people that understand the promise. 
See, Joshua knew about having the right people, having people who had the same goal in mind. And when you're looking to walk into the promise, you got to make sure that the people you're walking with are focused on the same things. Because as you walk toward the promise, there are going to be some strange encounters that are going to happen. There are going to be some enemies that are going to pop up. And you want some people who want the promise just as much as you want the promise. Because if they don't want the promise like you want it, they'll cause you to go back to bondage. No, no, listen, as you walk toward the promise, you're going to experience some dangerous encounters. And I don't need a bunch of scary, unsure people. I just need two or three people who have firm foundation who can say, yes, though he slay me, I'll still trust him. I need a couple of people who can just say, you know what? I don't need a hundred people that want to go look. I need two or three people who soon as times get difficult, they say the Lord is my rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Everything else is sinking sand. I need some people. Just two or three who when the road gets rocky and things get crazy, they understand that the Lord is their rock and their salvation. Whom shall I fear? I need some whom shall I fear type of people walking with me. Not no scary. Not what's going to happen next. Not I don't know if we can do this. Not I'm unsure. No, no, no. I need some people who can say whom shall I fear? Whom? Shall I be afraid? And we have to be okay with the fact that the power is not always in the masses. But sometimes the power is remained and put aside for the remnants. It's retained for the few. This is why we got to stop chasing numbers and stop chasing what's big and stop chasing what's popular and stop chasing what everybody else is flocking to because it's not the masses that always have the power. But if we just got two or three who are gathered in the name of Jesus, if we just got two or three of us that can touch and agree, if we got a couple of us who can commit to the promise, listen, he says, if you just got a few of us who can stand for holiness, for where two or three are gathered, my name, listen, gathered in my name, where is he? He says, I'm in the midst. And I don't want to be in the midst of the crowd, but I want to be where Jesus is in the midst. I don't want to be in the midst of the popular crowd. I want to be wherever Jesus is at. And sometimes you got to take an audit of where you're walking to and who you're walking with. You got to look at your friend group and make a decision. Is Jesus in the midst of this situation? Is Jesus in the midst of my group chat? Is Jesus in the midst of my relationships? Is Jesus in the midst? Is there power? Have you been walking with the masses because it's popular or are you walking because you're on assignment? See, see, I don't want to walk where my assignment is not taking me. I don't want to just be there for the photo opportunity. Uh, I don't want to just be there so people can look at me and say, look at what he did and look at what he's doing. I don't want to be there for the social media moment so people can praise me and shout me out. Now, I want to be where the assignment is. Even if nobody sees me, if I'm on assignment, guess what? The father sees me. Even if nobody shouts me out, if I'm on assignment, guess what? The father shouts me out. Even if you never give me an award, guess what? I got a crown waiting for me in heaven because he who endures to the end he shall receive a crown I don't need your shout out I don't need your magazine cover because if I'm on assignment the Lord sees me I want to be where the assignment is and many times we're trying to move with people who are not on the same assignment the, the, the text says 
And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. That was the first city they had to partake. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Okay. Joshua sends out two spies who are on assignment. Okay. Not only do you have to be careful who you're walking with, but you got to remember your assignment. And, and, and let me say this. They were focused on the assignment with the goal of getting what they needed to report back to the rest how they would move forward in taking the promise. And we know that they were on assignment because where they ended up at is a place that could be distracting. Okay. You got to use your imagination here. Come on. The house they ended up in could be a place with a lot of distractions. But they kept their focus. They ended up at Rahab's house. The Bible says that she was a harlot. But the word zona in the Hebrew, which we connect to harlot's house, also means innkeeper. Now, what do I mean by that? It means that though she may have had a past in prostitution, her place was more of a business establishment where people can come and lay down. So she took what she was good at and turned it into an enterprise. She was an intelligent entrepreneur who turned her situation into a profitable business with high traffic from people with all walks of life. Even the location of her house was strategic in that it was built in the walls of the city on the outskirts where she had to live because of who she was. But she said, due to my job, I can make this location work. I can make this business boom. She established it as a hotel, which means that it was a lot that they was going to see when they walked into Harlot, the innkeeper's business. When the two spies come into the place, they are liable to experience, to see, to hear some stuff that would attempt to pull them off of their mission, that would attempt to pull them out of their focus. Listen, you got to be on assignment. You got to be focused. You got to refuse to let things around you pull you to the left or pull you to the right. But you got to be focused on finishing what you came to do. And many of us can testify that we started out focused. But when we got to the place that God has called us to be, we find ourselves turning to the left or turning to the right. Because that over there looked good. That over there looks a little better. This over here is a little more interesting. But you got to learn to stay the course. The two spies go to the house, and somehow the king of Jericho ends up finding out about them coming to the house. So the king sends men to Rahab, and they say to Rahab, we know some brothers from Israel came to your prestigious establishment. Um, we know that they pulled up here, and so hand them over to us. Rahab looks around, and she says, uh, a lot of people come to my place. It's a hot spot in the city. I mean, this is why I opened it up in the city wall. We got the best reviews on Google. <laughs> Top five reviews on Yelp. So, so yes, of course they stopped by, but a lot of people stopped by here. They came, but they're not here anymore. They said something about leaving and going toward the gate of the city. And listen, you better catch them before they end up leaving the city. It's getting dark. Y'all should hurry up. But thank you for coming to Rahab's hideout. 
What the king and his soldiers did not know was that the two spies had been hid by Rahab on top of the roof under something called flax. Now, flax is a type of stalk that grows prominently in Jericho. It was cultivated in that land. And, and sometimes the flax was laid on the roof to help cool off the house when it was getting too hot. Okay. Uh, uh, so they hide up under the flax uh, because the flax was used to cool off the house when it gets hot. Okay. Listen, uh, God has the ability to take me out of some hot situations, some close to the fire situations, and hide me under the flax to hide me from the enemy, protect me and cover me from those who want to do me wrong. Even right now, God is covering you and hiding you under the flax. The enemy's been searching for you. Enemy's been looking for you. But God said, not my servant, not my daughter, not my child. Let me hide you up under the flax you had no idea why he was putting you up under the flax but it's some hot situations the enemy wants you to be in and God says I'm gonna put you under the flax it's crazy how he takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise he took the ones that society looked down upon the ones society talked about to rule and win over the wise Rahab has some experience that allowed her not to sweat in this type of situation See, see, Rahab has had some experience in having to make some quick decisions to de-escalate some situations that could cause somebody to have gotten killed. Rahab's been in this kind of situation before because she did not blink when the king's people came her way. But, but, but this time, it wasn't just the spies who were on assignment, but even Rahab was being used on an assignment. Okay. Okay, listen, uh, she had some experience with these type of situations, but this time was different. And let me show you why it was different. Follow me to Joshua, Joshua 2 and 8. I want to show you why this time is going to be different for Rahab. Joshua 2 and 8 says, and before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. So before they fell asleep, they was up there for a little while. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. So listen, she goes on the roof, she uncovers the spies and she begins to testify about what God has done for them. She said, I heard about how God had dried up the water of the Red Sea just for y'all. I heard about how God had bought y'all out of Egypt. I heard about how God had caused you to defeat Pharaoh, how God not only called you to defeat Pharaoh, but how the same God has kept you in the wilderness and provided for you for 40 years. And during that 40 years, your clothes did not wear out. Your sandals on your feet even stayed looking new. Listen, my God is so amazing that he even makes sure your fashion looks presentable even when you're in the wilderness. Anybody can testify that you've been in the wilderness, but you can thank God you don't look like like what you've been in you don't look like what you're going through even right now you're in some fiery situations but I thank God I don't smell like the smoke that's around me I thank God I don't smell like the fire that's trying to get me I've been in some down depressed situations but I thank God he's kept me 
Even the simple things we don't even think about, God is looking over and managing, making sure their clothes didn't wear out and their sandals didn't go bad after 40 years of walking in the wilderness, shoes still looking brand new. He said he led you in the wilderness for, for 40 years. Your clothes were not broken. Neither your shoes or your feet were wasted by illness. He led you 40 years. He, he said, listen, uh, 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 Rahab said, listen, I've I, I, I seen how you guys even defeated the kings of Shihon and Og. Those some, those some bad brothers, but y'all defeated them as well. She began to testify of the goodness of the Lord. And it was at this moment that Rahab transitioned. From Rahab the harlot to Rahab the evangelist. Okay, you got to follow me. It is at this moment that she moved from Rahab the business owner to Rahab the one who would testify of God's goodness. It's at this moment that Rahab goes from being known as a prostitute to now being known as a midwife. Okay. Now, what do I mean by she's being known as a midwife? What do I mean by calling Rahab going from a harlot to now being a midwife? Well, if you remember in Exodus, Pharaoh had tried to destroy the Hebrew people by commanding the midwives to kill the boys as soon as they were born. But there were some midwives who said, no, we, we can't be a part of that. I refuse to be a part of the genocide of God's people. I refuse to let the enemy have his way. So what they did was they stepped in to make sure that what God had set forth to live, they made sure that thing was actually birthed out. They made sure that when the Israel women went into labor, that the thing they were laboring with, the thing they were carrying, they made sure it came into the world. Listen, we don't just need brothers who go forward and fight, but I need some sisters, some midwives who are ready to step in and make sure that the things that God is calling to bring forward actually happens and lives. Where my midwives at? They say, listen, I know I got a past. I know I've done some stuff, but I'm not who I used to be. I've transitioned into a midwife and I'm going to make sure that God can birth some things out of some situations that life is spoken that life is cultivated you're going to speak life into your situation you're going to speak life into your circumstance you don't care how bad it looks how crazy it is what the enemy says but i got some midwives in the building who said for christ i live and for christ i die for christ i stand and for christ i walk you gotta be a midwife She said, no king, no enemy, no devil, no lie, not your past, not who I used to be will stop me. Rahab, she began to put some things together. Rahab said, man, listen, I heard about y'all. And there's no way that a people who were enslaved, a people who don't have their own land, a people who don't have their, their, their own stuff, there's no way that you did all this in your own power. So Rahab began to say to herself, so, so what's behind y'all must give y'all power. And I want to be on that team as opposed to this team. She says, there's no way that people with no real resources, a people who have been enslaved, a people who are fleeing bondage, should be this resilient, should be this successful. Rahab is giving God glory on the roof of a place where you normally would not think the word of God would be shared. And that's what I believe that God wants people to say about his children. How are they so resilient? How are they bouncing back so well? How do they keep on getting back up after getting pushed back down? How do they keep on moving forward after being lied about and talked 
talked about and spit on and done the wrong way. How do you keep on stepping? Can you be that person that God can say, look at my people. Look at how they bounce back. Look at how strong they are in the midst of the world that hates them. They still stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ and utter his words out of their lips. I'm talking about being that kind of people. Um, but, but Rahab is giving God glory on the rooftop of a place where you normally wouldn't think a testimony would be shared. She, she, she's grew her business into an establishment that is highly frequently visited by a lot of people to do some things that should not be done. However, on the rooftop of her establishment, the testimony of God is being spoke. Uh, uh, Rahab went from being a harlot to now being a rooftop preacher. And, and, and whether you know it or not, Rahab at the time is speaking prophetically. Okay. Follow me, Matthew, Matthew 10, 27. Let me tell you why. Rahab is telling you what she heard. And what she heard was the truth. That the Lord was with the people. That the Lord was doing these mighty things for them. So it says in Matthew 10, 27, what I tell you in darkness... That speak ye in the light. <laughs> and what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Okay, where is Rahab at? On top of the housetop. And she's preaching what she's heard being mummered in the dark. What she's heard being whispered around her people. She is now speaking and proclaiming the goodness of God from the rooftops. And in order for you and I to get to the promises of God, we got to be a people who can learn to get to the rooftops and be able to talk about the goodness of God. She went from being a harlot to being a preacher on the rooftop. Rahab had to let the world know, I know who I used to be. I know what you say about me, but that's not who I'm going to remain. Listen, we know what you used to do and who you used to be, but praise be to God. That's not when we got to remain. Can anybody testify that yes, I got a past, but I I ain't stuck in my past. I'm moving forward to what God wants me to be. I praise God that my past is not where my story ends, that he did not kill me in the mess I was in, but he kept me alive so that I can know about his word and know about who he is. And by the blood of Jesus, he saved me and snatched me out. I praise God that my past was only a part of the greater plan that God has had for me. And you got to begin to understand to stop being pigeonholed to your past. Stop being in burden to your past. Stop being in bondage to your past. It's a small part of what God got for you because your eternity is a lot longer than your life on earth. And so my past and who I used to be is only a small part of my eternity. See, see, God has not called us to be closed mouth about what we know about him and about what he's done for us. God has not called us to be silent about when you hear him speak, but he wants you to be yelling it from the highways and the byways. We got to stop being quiet Christians, stop being closed mouth Christians and start talking about the goodness of God, how amazing he is. Every single chance I get, I should use every platform I got. I got Facebook, I got Instagram, I got TikTok, I got Snapchat, I got LinkedIn. 
man, I got my mouth. Listen, some of y'all run your mouth about everything else, but what about the goodness of God and about how great he's been? I can gossip and talk about everything else. Let me gossip about the blessing that he's done for me, about the way he brought me out, about who I used to be, but I don't look like what I've been through. I need to talk about that a little bit. How is it that we're vocal about everything else but Jesus? How is it we march and we boycott and we post and we repost and we comment and we share our opinion? But when will you proclaim and be vocal about the Lord God who brought you out? When will you testify about the things people need to know? Not the cute testimony, not the politically correct testimony, but the testimony that you really don't want to share because you know they're going to judge you afterwards. But I don't care about your judgment because, listen, he is... He knew where I've been, he knew what I've done, but he chose me anyway, which means that his choosing trumps your opinion. And I thank God that he chose me in spite of my mess. Listen, he needs your testimony. It's powerful. What you've been through is necessary. Okay, listen. Um, there was a lady who was walking, and, and as she's walking down the street, she falls into a large manhole. Um, and so the walls in the manhole were, were, were too steep for her to climb up. So what ends up happening is um, a pastor walks by, and she says, hey, I need some help. So, so he wrote down a prayer on a paper, and he, and he, and he threw it down to the, to the hole, right? Then a doctor walks past, and she says, hey, hey, can you help me? And the doctor uh, writes a prescription, throws it down in the hole. Well, well this, this person walks by and jumps into the manhole with her. And she said that that, that was stupid because now we're both stuck in the manhole. The person that jumps in says, listen, um, I've been here before. And I know how to get out. Okay. Many of us have been in the manhole before, have been in the pit before. And God needs your testimony to show some people that it's possible to get out. It's possible to climb out, not by your power, not by your strength, but by his grace and his mercy. So stop being ashamed about who you used to be and where you used to go and where you used to be at and start giving God glory that you made it out. He's going to call you to go back down to some places and pull some people up. He needs some Rahabs. He needs some Joshuas. He needs some Noahs. He needs some Abrams. He needs some people who've gone through some stuff who can share their testimony and proclaim Jesus is God in the midst of my mess. Jesus is Lord in the midst of my mess. God is good in the midst of my. There are some deep, dark places. They need a Rahab who's been through some stuff before. But now faith is transitioning you from darkness into light. They need to hear about your drug use and how you had an addiction. But now by the grace of God, you transitioned into life. They need to hear about your gambling addiction and the dark pit of debt that you were in. But now you transition from death into life. They need to hear about your sexual addiction and your pornography addiction and how you've now transitioned into death to life. They need to know about who you used to be and how you transitioned from death 
into life. What we've learned today is that we're marching toward the promises of God. The first thing we learn is that you got to be careful who you walk with. Take an audit of the people you surround yourself with. The relationships you find yourself in. Make sure you're both walking toward the promise. The second thing you got to do is remember your assignment. The third thing is you got to proclaim his goodness from the rooftop. I don't care what kind of past you've had or what you've done or what they know about you. He's still the same God. He's still good. What you've done does not dictate him being good or not being good. He's still a good God. I want to show you something real fast before we leave. Joshua, Joshua 2 and 12. Oh, it's only 10 o'clock. We're good. We got time. Joshua 2 and 12. It says, now, therefore, I pray you. This is Rahab talking. Swear unto me by the Lord. Since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Okay. After Rahab does her part to keep these brothers from being caught, after Rahab is proclaiming the testimony of God on the rooftop, after Rahab does these things by faith, after she testifies of strength, power, divine nature of God, and through her faith and her action shows that she believes, she then tells the brothers, since I've showed you kindness and I've watched over you and I've protected you, please show me kindness and watch over me and my father's house. Okay. The last thing I want to tell you is that Rahab understood that sometimes you have to ask and pray with boldness. Okay, this was a bold request. She said, I'm not just asking for deliverance for me, <laughs> but I need you to deliver my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and everything they have, their kids, their possessions. Promise me that all of it will be protected. Look at the kind of character Rahab has. Look at this bold request. She's not just looking for delivery of herself, but she wants to see her family saved. She said, I just believe that not only can God save me, I am persuaded that I want to make sure my family will have a chance to experience the same thing. The very persuasion that I've experienced, I want my mama to experience, my daddy to experience, my sister to experience, my brother to experience. It is the unusual suspect of Rahab, the unlikely candidate, the only one who lives in the outskirts of the city, the one they called a harlot, the one the family probably didn't mess with, the one the family probably talked about, never got invited to the cookout, wasn't allowed coming to Thanksgiving, never got a Christmas gift. Listen, they stayed stuck in her past, talked about who she used to be, how she got that nasty business over there. It was going to be Rahab that was going to be the one that was going to save her entire family, the one society tried to box in was going to be the one to deliver her entire family you got to stop letting your past keep you from celebrating and getting in a situation that can save your entire family stop running from the call that God has had on your life and understand that you got to pray with some boldness that your mama can be saved your daddy can be saved your sister can be saved your brother can be saved even if they talk against you don't want you around you know something they don't know you are now persuaded 
created. And now you want them to experience the same thing. You better stop holding on to this gospel that you got. You better start sharing this power that you got. You better start learning to use the power to pray in boldness. Listen, when you stay stuck in your past, when you stay bond with who you used to be, you run the risk of your family not ever getting free. The only way that Rahab's family is about to get deliverance is because she had enough faith to then put some action to her faith. She had enough faith to hear and to believe and to understand. She had enough faith to ask the big request. They said back to where they said um, in, in, in Joshua 2, 18, 19, I'll let you go home. It says, behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou did let down to us. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whatsoever, whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood should be upon his own head. And we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood should be on our head, if any hand be upon him. Okay. They said, okay, we're going to do this for you. But your family got to come to your house. <laughs> your family got to come to the place of business. The, 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 the family now had to put aside any judgment, any past thoughts, any what they used to think about her because it was now something different about the house. Even the place of business has transitioned. The house has transitioned. It's now a different house. It's not the house that it used to be. It's now a house that's protected. It's now a house with a scarlet thread. This is now the house with the blood of Jesus over the doorstep. The house that shall be passed over. I don't care what your house used to be. Today you can make a declaration that this will be a house of worship. This will be a house of praise. This will be a house that gives God glory. This will be a house with blood on the doorstep. So when the enemy comes, he has no way to get into the house, has no way to impact the house, that this house shall be saved. Rahab's past was over. It would be her past that would set her family up for redemption. And I thank God that my past set me up for redemption, that my past put me in position to be saved. And this this right here will be a house of salvation. Anybody believe their house going to be a house of salvation? Oh, stand to your feet if you want your house to be a house of salvation. Anybody ready to move into the promise for your family? I believe it. I know it to be true. No, no, no. Our houses are going to be changed. Our homes are going to be different that talked about you, didn't want to mess with you. It's going to be through your testimony and your bold prayers that God is going to impact their life. That when they show up to the house, it's going to be a change in their spirit. An attitude change. A mindset change. It's time for us to begin to pray bold prayers for our family. Even family that ain't talked to you in years. Even family that don't like you. Even family that done you wrong. Even family you got issues with. It's time to put aside all the issues 
all the problems, all the pain. Listen, what's amazing is everybody Thank likes you to for think, listening to the New Birth Christian Ministries podcast. Visit us online at newbirthcm.org.